Welcome to the Lindsay Hadley Podcast Show. I'm coming to you from the North Shore of Oahu, where weekly I interview some of the world's most inspiring people from business, philanthropy, and entertainment. I love collecting humans, and these are some of my favorites I've found along the way. This podcast is brought to us by Capita Financial Network. Do you need help with the next steps of your financial plan? Think Capita. Capita is a financial network built around you. They have a team of financial advisors, CPAs, state attorneys, Medicare providers, and social security experts to help you accomplish your financial goals. Call or schedule a complimentary consultation at 801-566-5058 or visit their website at capitafinancialnetwork.com. You can also check out their financial education podcast, The Financial Call, available on Apple, Google, Spotify, and YouTube. Hi, welcome to the Lindsay Hadley Podcast Show, brought to you by Capita Financial Network. Today, I'll be co-hosting with my dear friend, Jess Larson. Hope you enjoy the show. To have some of my friends on, this is really um, just a treat. And Capita Financial Network is the sponsor of my new show, The Lindsay Hadley Podcast Show. And Capita is a financial advisory firm that is full. It's basically a full-service wealth management firm. We do everything from life insurance to managing people's trust to helping manage people's donor advised funds and help with their philanthropy to taxes to everything we just we were kind of like your court for all things money so um we're i'm really thrilled to be the director of client relations and previous to that i spent you know a decade uh, running my own boutique consultancy in philanthropy and i got to meet incredibly inspiring visionaries like chris who's our guest today chris Lesner is um is from Chicago, and I met him through my my mentor Joe Ritchie, that I often speak about, uh, accused as being the compulsive, you know, connector. And they're like, "This is one where we introduced you. This is like so exciting because I consider him a dear friend." Chris is a humble leader. He's um, has a background in tech, and he's been had a, bo- a boutique agency himself, helping different clients with their tech needs and um, a, a dev shop and all kinds of different services. And then how to use his skill set um, in as a coder and a CTO to help the world be better. And so he created what's called Project World Impact, which I'm so thrilled for him to talk about today. It's just stunning what they've accomplished. They have over 20 million people a year on their site. They have 100,000 nonprofits and clients. They they provide software as a service to these NGOs that help them leverage. Chris, we're so happy to have you and would love for you to kind of kick off starting off. Tell us more about Project World Impact. I just gave like, you know, the three second intro, but tell us your journey of how you got here and your background and Give us a little, like, better synopsis of who is Chris Lesner. <laughs> well, thanks for having me. Um, this is awesome. I love what you guys are doing. Uh, you you explained it already. I mean, it's been it's been a really fun ride. Um, I I grew up internationally most of my life, just with my dad's job in corporate America, uh, moving around a bunch, and and. And in that process, just saw a lot of good and bad around the world. And one of the fun that things that happened was when we moved back to America, um, went to university here in the States and got a chance to start a marketing company or be a part of starting this marketing company. What ended up being a marketing company, I guess I should say. We didn't know it was a marketing company. Um, and it grew really, really fast while I was in school. Um, by the time I was starting my senior year, we were opening multiple offices. We had over 60 people. We were doing digital marketing for a bunch of really big, um, big clients that are household brands. And uh, I got connected to somebody in the nonprofit world 
And they just challenged me to say, what if you could figure out a way to use all these marketing skills to help people instead of just making all this money? And, uh, and that kind of was the impetus for PWI, what we're doing today. And that was uh, 10 years ago. So it's been a wild ride. And for the last 10 years, we're focused on how do we impact hundreds of millions of people um, by connecting with nonprofits and helping them expand their reach, raise a bunch of money, um, get in front of brand new people, improve their operations, all that kind of stuff. So it's been a lot of fun. Amazing, Chris. You know, it's cool because I, you know, you he's one of our advisors to a documentary that I just executive produced called Uncharitable, which features Dan Pilata's work. If you haven't seen his TED Talk, The Way We Think of Chickpea's Dead Wrong, I highly recommend it. 13 minutes of your life to watch it. And when the film comes out, watch the, you know, 90 minute, ex- the same concept. But Chris, you know, what he's built is a for-profit business addressing these social ills by by giving these software tools and providing, you know, um, just traditional tech business offerings. You know, he's able to have impact, but you thought bigger than that, Chris. It's not just, hey, here's, you know, here's an API hook in, here's the great white label tech solution for your crowdfunding or for your peer-to-peer fundraising. You guys actually created like a, a hub, like a search engine where anyone can and type in their location. Like I live here on the North shore of Oahu and you can put that in and, and then look up a certain type of topic as cause and find out where I can volunteer, what the NGOs are in my region. And can you tell us a little bit why through that, like why did you create that offering in addition to just servicing your clients and making money? Yes. I think anyone that goes into business realizes where they end up is probably not where they planned to be. Um, at least that's been my experience. One of the starting points for PWI was we were just looking at um, at the need. Every month, there were over 130 million searches of people looking for something related to nonprofits, causes, countries. Um, and sometimes that's really blown up when there's natural disasters or things. Everyone's Googling what's going on with natural disasters. And um, and in other cases, there's stuff going on all halfway across the world and people hear about, wow, what's happening in Syria or Ukraine or cho- choose your location and people just start Googling about what's going on there and how do we get involved. Um, so imagine 130 million people every month looking for ways to get involved and there's not a great central place for them to go. Um, there's tons of good resources out there, tons of them. The UN Foundation has tons of good options. If people are interested in giving, they can go to um, GuideStar, Charity Navigator, Charity Watch, like all these great organizations. But when it comes to where does somebody go to actually figure out what's happening and how could they potentially get involved, there's really nothing out there. And so we built this with the thought of how could we be that place that people would go to to want to get involved. All the software and everything that nonprofits are using that was never part of the plan. Um, I was using money from what I made with the first company to fund this. And uh, and there was no revenue model. It was just, let's help nonprofits get found. And we, I remember our first summer, I hired uh, 25 summer interns from university. And, um, and we called 80,000 nonprofits just asking, would you want to get connected to something like this? And uh, I'm thankful we're not doing that anymore. But but it grew really fast. And, um, and later on, we realized we need a way to fund this outside of just money that I could bring in if we want to make this sustainable and actually help people. And so that's when all the software started. Um, but 
yeah, it's just been a fun, fun ride doing both of those things, trying to help people change the world. I love it. And so, you know, in the uncharitable message, um, you can share, what was it about the, the film that made you interested? Because my synopsis would be that you found a way to make an impact using the business levers that often nonprofits don't get to use, you know? And, and so what maybe resonated with you, cause you've been in, you've had like an eagle eye to the sector. Like you just know as a businessman, these principles are correct. Maybe you can share a little bit of high level, some of those principles. Cause I think in yeah. a way you're like deeply integrated in the sector, but you're not really running a nonprofit. So you're also not really one of them in the sense you can have a third party view and it's in in a holistic way that I think might be useful for our listeners. Really, it was that research of trying to figure out for me, um, how could marketing be used to help people, right? And so there's a classic example that that we use that was one of the reasons that I really started leaning into this. Um, any nonprofit will take a hundred grand from you and use it towards awesome work. That's just a given, right? Any nonprofit will accept a hundred grand check. And, uh, and in working with a bunch of these nonprofits when we were getting started, um, we decided what if instead of giving $100,000 to a nonprofit, we decided to give it to Facebook and Google and run ads to see how much more money could we raise of other people's money outside of just money we could give or that we could raise on behalf of that nonprofit. And so just through ad campaigns, we were able to turn $100,000 into $1.2 million that ended up going to multiple charities. And it just clicked of how silly would I be to give $100,000 just to this cause when if it's not for tax purposes and it's for actually helping solve some of these issues, we could actually give away the equivalent of $1.1 million and it's all other people's money. And yeah, we have a little bit of sunk cost, but it does a lot more good. And I think that's where the film comes in, not exactly from that lens, but it's Let's think about how would we maximize the impact because no nonprofit, small nonprofit board will approve, hey, let's spend a hundred grand on Google or on Facebook, right? If they're less than a million dollar year organization. But if they knew that it would bring in over a million dollars if they spent it with some guarantees, okay, then then they're interested, right? But most people don't have in the nonprofit world, especially, most people don't have access to the tools that we have access to to even run a campaign like that. The tools are really expensive. Um, stuff that's becoming more public in, a, in great ways, like different AI tools that are helping increase efficiencies. A lot of those have been around for a long time um, and marketers have been using them. They've just been really expensive. And so now it's a matter of, okay, how, how do we help people? How do we make some of this stuff known? And, um, and yeah, the film just resonates on so many levels from what I see in terms of nonprofits losing good people because of money. And really their top line is hurt. Their impact is hurt. Um, and yeah, I think the, the film specifically, I'm just, I'm excited for what you guys are doing. Oh, thanks so much, Chris. Jess, what does that bring up for you? I mean, you've, you've been involved in nonprofits for a long time. That's one of the ways you and I first got like officially really involved professionally. Um, outside of us meeting, selling cell phones in a tiny little store in Southern California. But uh, other than that, you know, we, we've, we've worked, we've got, you understand the pain points of the charity role, but what does it need to bring up any questions for you or thoughts about what Chris is doing? Yeah, it does. I mean, I do want to give a shout out to your film. I mean, obviously I, I heard about it along the way and it's fun to, you know, meet Jake Gyllenhaal's dad who you made it with and stuff. 
But like this film, like you've got the buzz factor of like the Ed Nortons and people in it, but like this core message of, um, <laughs> I don't know, this is my takeaway. And I've talked to some of you about the film since seeing it is like, why is the number one thing that we're measuring on a nonprofit is how little they spent on overhead, not how many people's lives they made better. Like how, how is that the, the, like, I can't tell you like, and I, this happens to me all the time when people are like, we're talking about, you find out I've got child rescue. They tell me about the nonprofit they're working on. And like their number one thing to brag about isn't, and there's almost no overhead or there's no overhead. It's like, well, that that's nice. But like, did you start a charity to, to not have overhead? Like, is that the purpose of like, we're going to start a charity and not have overhead. Or did you start a charity to like help these kids who don't have parents or to feed the hungry people? Like, <laughs> Like, why aren't the things you're reporting on matching up with the reason you're doing this in the first place? So anyways, I'm going to echo the everybody should go watch Uncharitable. Um, but uh, Chris, I, I want to take this a, a little bit more from a business perspective of um, I my experience in nonprofit is that there are so many people who didn't want to worry about money and they didn't want to go to marketing class and they didn't want to go to finance class. They just wanted to help people. And they got really good at that thing. So they ended up in leadership in the, in the nonprofit. And, you know, it's partially because they don't care about money so much that they ended up in what's probably a lower paying job. And so my experience is like the nonprofit world is full of people with a good heart, but uh, low skill sets on coming up with the money to deliver on the good intentions. And I don't know if you disagree with me or, or not, feel free to, um, but from my perspective, what you're providing is such an incredible thing of matching that kind of heart with some skill sets that they're unlikely to have on the team. Yeah, I mean, I think it's the the beauty of the mixture of giftings and capitalism, right? I, I think there's so much that from a business standpoint, we've been able to grow our business significantly and we have the nonprofit side where we help a bunch of nonprofits. We have a different side where we bring in quite a bit of revenue and um, there's a lot that when I even look at our own business, I have no idea what I'm doing when it comes to taxes, accounting, towards our finance, towards staffing, towards HR, like all the things that we need people for. And it's funny, you get into business because you have a skill set and you're able to grow the business to a certain level and you just need to surround yourself with people who can get it to the next level. It's that whole concept of what got you here won't get you there, right? And, uh, and thinking about that from the nonprofit's perspective, I think it's a lot of times really well-meaning people who start something in their local community or because they went on a trip internationally, they really care about a small area, they make a huge impact in that area, then they go to expand. And that's totally new horizon and they don't know what to do. They don't have the people, they don't, they don't have the resources, they were self-funding, now they need funding. There's, there's all these things that they're going to bump into and I think that's where uh, it's easy for groups like us or others to come alongside and really help them get it to the next level. Because yeah, what got them to where they are today after a 10 year stride, isn't going to take them to the next 10 years of where they want to be and hit the same goals. It, it takes different people and skill sets. So yeah, I, I think you're, you're spot on though, in terms of like, um, people kind of fall into roles that are beyond their skill set, but they're super passionate. So and that's where I think you do find a lot of nonprofits get taken advantage of, right? You're so excited about the cause. And if somebody says, oh, I'm here to help you, a lot of times there's some blind trust and and some things could go bad too. So, 
can you share a story with us of, of one of your clients that, you know, had a big heart, but didn't have the funding mechanism and worked with you guys and, and now are making a giant impact? Yeah, there's, there's so many. Um, <laughs> I, I think through co- COVID was a good example. And I know this COVID's a while back, um, now, but, but so many nonprofits realized during COVID that they needed to become more digitally savvy. Their, their in-person events weren't going to happen for at least a year, depending on where they were. And a lot of their funds were raised in in-person events. And so uh, I can't even count the amount of nonprofits we helped turn from people who had never raised money online through any digital campaigns to raising millions of dollars online all just out of necessity, right? And it wasn't all through the same donors because a lot of those same donors aren't going to give online. They wanted the in-person stuff. They like whatever it is. And in-person stuff is really fun. Um, but uh, a lot of it is people don't realize how scalable digital giving can be. Um, a lot of nonprofits have not initially thought through, what's the first gift we want everyone to give? They have a donate button, but there's no clear ask that's the same ask for everyone then it's how do we get the second gift what are we actually asking for how do we get the third gift what are we actually asking for and what a lot of nonprofits find is there's a massive drop between gift three and gift four um and it's really easy to get the first three gifts and it's almost impossible to get the fourth and that's where nonprofits the really big ones you always hear about have monthly giving programs and stuff like that it's not just first time donation is a recurring giver um they have a funnel figured out. And I think so much of the time, literally countless stories, it's just even explaining that to a nonprofit and saying, what's your donor funnel? What's the first gift, second gift, third gift, and the fourth gift has to be recurring. And then how do you tie the impact back to the donor, not necessarily the impact you're having on the field? Um, that's made a huge difference. Linz, you, you've been in the world of fundraising. Uh, what kind of ideas does that bring up for you? Well, yeah, Chris, I was, maybe you could share with our audience, what are the exact tools and, and, and services and value that you're providing? Maybe you can go through the suite of the different offerings. Um, because what you're talking about automated software, but then there's also agency side where you're teaching people how to do all this. Can you, can you talk through a little bit, all of the things that people can utilize that you're, that you're now providing? Yeah, it's been a it's been a fun journey because um, now we've got over twenty tools, what we call tools. Um, other people might call them products, but that nonprofits are using. Some are as simple as like a profile that gets in front of our users. Some are as simple as like resource library, where we have tons of experts contributing free content to nonprofits that they can read. Um, but then there's also a bunch of free stuff, like um, a completely free CRM that nonprofits can use. Unlimited users, unlimited contexts, no credit card ever asked for. There's stuff where we'll post about them on social. If they just want free promotion, we'll post about them. Um, there's tons of connections we have with people who want the Google Ad Grant and helping them get the Google Ad Grant and then use that where they get 10 grand a month to use for advertising. And so many nonprofits have just never heard of some of those opportunities. And then there's a bunch of tools too that we have that are like everyone in the market seems to have these tools and we're one of thousands of players, right? Your crowdfunding, your peer-to-peer fundraising, your event management software, your auction software, all the stuff that tons of people are doing. Um, we by default have to have that because nonprofits need it. And our goal is to just come in and offer it for way less and with no fees. So all of our stuff, there's 
there's no percentage model. It's just use the tool, raise as much money as you can and keep it. Um, but there's a bunch of unique stuff that we've seen help with exactly what we're talking about, donor onboarding. Um, we've got a tool that every time somebody opens a new internet tab, money is sent to the nonprofit that they pre-selected. So just imagine like how many tabs you open in a given day on Chrome, Smart, Box, Edge, right? If, if you're like the average person, you open about 20 tabs a day. Some of us power users open way more than that. Um, and imagine if every time you did, money was just sent to the nonprofit that you cared about. No cost to you ever. You don't have to hook up your credit card or anything. It's other people's money. Um, imagine if every time you did a Google search, money was sent to a nonprofit that you care about. Uh, that's one of our products does exactly that. So things like that, that other people aren't really in that space necessarily, but due to our size or partnerships, how long we've been doing this, it's, we've been able to, to make a bunch of cool tools like that. And a dozen other ones that really nobody's competing with us on from a, from a market standpoint. Um, and when you can come in and say, Hey, somebody can get access to all of these tools for five grand a year kind of thing, which is what our average nonprofit is doing. Uh, with a guarantee that they'll make 50 grand in their first year, they can have their money back just if they follow the plan we give them. Um, it's probably the easiest sell ever to a nonprofit. Um, and that's kind of how we've been able to grow. That's awesome. I think like as I'm looking there um, at, at all that you offer, people can just go on, they can search and go to Project World Impact and then engage with your products. Can they get like a consult where they talk with like one of your staff and learn more about all the offerings? How do they do that? Yeah, there's there's a useful link that will take people to a PDF that's just projectworldimpact.com slash demo. Um, but yeah, if somebody goes to the PWI site, they can book a time to talk with the nonprofit success team member. And we've got a whole team of people here out of the office and all day they're talking to nonprofits about how would you use the tools? Does it make sense to pay for tools or should you just use all of our free tools? Because uh, sometimes people don't need to pay for the tools. They just need the free stuff. Um, and yeah, our, since all of, all of this for us is about impacting hundreds of millions of people, it, as you can imagine, if a nonprofit's paying five grand for software that if they were to buy elsewhere, it's going to be like a couple hundred thousand dollars. That side is not like a profit center for us. So there's no incentive for our team we have no salespeople, so nobody's incentivized to sell nonprofits. It's really like case by case. What are you trying to accomplish? Build a goal, think through the funnels. And at some point, all of them, as they're growing, might need our help. Um, but yeah, it just depends on the size and what they're trying to do. So I have a great story to talk about Chris and his leadership because we worked together uh, putting together a meta campaign, the convener model, which is something that I specialized in for 10 years. So getting charities to normally compete for limited resources to espouse the same messaging and content at the same time. And we had a meta campaign for an organization called Myth, which is addressing vulnerable children in foster care and in or orphanages and institutions globally, helping them try to get into loving families. We had 30 plus charities and we called Chris up and we're like, hey, we'd love to have you help us build a software around this this uh strategy to get them to do peer-to-peer -peer fundraising he's like yeah we have a product like that and i was like do we though like here's and anyway somehow it got lost in translation like uh as as our project managers from our original conversation and his team ends up spending months tirelessly coding this and creating this original concept for our campaign 
just to find out what we actually used it that the original software they already had out of off the shelf and out of the box was exactly the right key. So we took them on this absolute convoluted waste of money and time. And these are busy guys and they were doing it for pants. And like anyway, I was utterly mortified. And Chris's response would which he had to just like throw the table and our friendship in the garbage. But he was like so gracious and like, oh okay. Well, let's just let's just quickly pivot and make this successful for these nonprofits. And the leadership in being so gracious and kind and not gloating and not like he didn't make me feel bad for even one second. I mean, I already could tell I already felt wanted to die a thousand deaths, but you know, the responsibility that I felt to him. It's just amazing how he embodied this the this at the core of it charity towards me. Like really what is charity? It's seeing another person as yourself, right? That's what gets someone to send a check or to dedicate their life. They just see themselves in other human beings that at such a visceral level. So I just want to say that Chris like embodies and lives this stuff at, at, at the most visceral core level interpersonally. I'm just so grateful to know. So anyway, Chris, as a leader, like, you know, Jess, Jess has also been a leader a lot of leaders as a consultant and interviewed a lot of leaders in his position. Um, he's also done training in leadership. But just what does this bring up for you in terms of like, you know, how to be other centric, how to see people as people as we go along in our lives, as you talk about being t- attuned into who they are, what their needs are? Well, I think my question that would relate to that, Chris, is, um, well, first, I want everybody to hear about your podcast and your for-profit business. But then my question is, um, you know, it's it's obvious that you must care about people and see people uh, not just as a means to your ends because you're so magnetic to them. So I'd love I'd love to hear about what your podcast is, what your for-profit business is, and then your mentality um, that has helped you attract, you know, 100,000 customers and millions of people to your site. Yeah, maybe maybe I'll go backwards and start there. Um, I think there's there's three things that immediately came to my mind. Um, one is that, uh, f- for me, this is much bigger than just like work and money. Um, if, if I wanted to just work and make money, I, I probably could have stopped working, uh, and been fine a few years ago. Um, and never really thought about any of that stuff again. Um, but when it comes down to it, so much of this for me is a faith play of like what my personal views are of the world and, um, what faith background i'm bringing to this and why i feel like i'm doing this is for such a bigger purpose than just myself um i feel like uh that leads into the second thing some of the doors that have been opened are just nuts um you think through how does somebody who's in college help start this company that helps fund their next endeavors before they even graduate like it's just you'd be foolish to think that you're smart enough to do this on your own and not realize like all the doors that have opened um and just the people who have come alongside to support me in this and speak into my life and mentors and just great, great minds um, who have just given so much countless free advice. It, I've seen the difference that that's made in my life personally and how I've been able to affect others with that. And then vice versa, thinking through how could I do that same thing for a bunch of other people and then think about all the ripple effect, if you will. Um, and the third thing is there's just there's just this constant desire for growth. Um, not just like 
financial growth, if you will, but just to actually see the impact you're making. Um, it's like a drug. I mean, I, I haven't done drugs, but I, it's like it has that same addicting feeling of like, uh, I have to turn my brain off and think through like, um, how would I like every hour I spend could potentially be impacting X more amount of people right around the world, locally or around the world. And, and that's where I just get such a great feeling working towards some of this stuff um, that, yeah, I consider it a huge privilege because um, I know a lot of people are miserable and stuff that they do all around, uh, all around work. So I just haven't had that experience, but on the, the for-profit side, um, of what we do, it's interesting. So we have all this nonprofit stuff going on. Um, and I thought I would be able to fund it forever. And I quickly realized I was not going to be able to fund it forever, um, due to tons of and mistakes and issues along the way. Um, and so I ended up starting under the Project World Impact umbrella, a digital marketing agency um, where we would go to for profits and a lot of people who I was already friends with and I had worked with in the past and um, and try to grow that business. And we ended up getting many clients, multiple Fortune 500s who have trusted us with all their digital marketing efforts and strategy and uh, web and app projects. And it truly has become a, a full full service agency. Um, and for the first uh, six to seven years, um, I'm so thankful we had that because we would have run out of money, and I wouldn't I wouldn't know what we'd be doing if we didn't have that. Um, and it was all just because somebody had said, "Hey, I know you left market the marketing world, but could you take on a side project?" And then I need to hire somebody for it, and it kind of just like kept rolling. It was never something we intended to do, but I'm so thankful it happened. Um, and then. The, the, the last thing that you had asked about the podcast, yeah, we're a lot of people who start podcasts have awesome, awesome, awesome content and they have no audience and their goal in creating a podcast is I want to grow my audience. We have the exact opposite problem. We have tons of people that know about Project World Impact that use us, that look to us for input and we have no content. Um, so we're, we're on the opposite problem. And I was thinking to myself, the amount of people I've been able to have coffee with or a meal with, and they just instill constant wisdom into me. Um, and I walk away thinking, I wish that other people could have heard that conversation because if it affected me like this, it would affect so many more people like this. And I'm, I'm sure both you and Lindsay have had conversations like that where it's like, man, if other people heard this, I mean. This would have been the best thing for all of them to hear. And so the concept is I'm going back to a lot of those people who have been longtime friends and mentors or clients of ours. And um, and many of them are well-known people. Um, and the the concept is just, can we rehave the conversations that we've had? Or can I just ask you for input and advice around leadership? And um, and. 99% of the podcast will be them talking about cool concepts and stories. And, and hopefully I get to just introduce them and listen like everyone else. So, well, uh, that's exciting. Um, I, I certainly feel like this podcast has been that way for me. Uh, I, I will say like on, you know, day before yesterday, I had a guy who on, you know, I uh, was the CEO of a $19 billion 
public company. And uh, the same thing happens that happens all the time, which is like the podcast is great and it's good, but they, they warm up over the show and like you're getting the best, like the gold at the end. Right. And then, and then you click off the recording and, and you say, Hey, we're done recording and we're done recording. That was fun. Or, or, you know, I'd love to stay in contact or wherever the conversation goes. And then inevitably they tell you like the real stuff that they weren't sure they wanted to say publicly and they go further with it. And I take all the time, like I thought on this episode, oh my gosh, this is like better than the last 45 minutes. How come we can't record these eight minutes, you know? And, um, it, it is what it is, but, uh, I really love that generosity. Um, you know, one of the questions that I really have liked asking on the show this year, uh, especially if folks like yourselves who've been able to achieve scale, um, you know, as founders and CEOs, we're so often told we need product market fit and you need to improve your product market fit. And yet there's, there's not a unified definition of it. Uh, so I'd love to hear, I'd love to hear how you would describe product market fit. That is a very interesting question. Um, I'm not, sh- I, I feel hesitant even bringing this up because it's so cliche, but I think of Simon Sinek's book, The Infinite Game. Um, have you, have you read that by any chance or heard of that? Did you say Simon Sinek, Infinite Game? Yeah. 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 The, the, the concept is, is very simple. It's some people are really focused about, um, is this the best product on the market today? And some people are focused on how do we last forever and really change the industry as a whole. And I think for us, um, we have over 20 products now that nonprofits are using on that side of the business. Half of those products have hundreds of competitors each. Nobody's trying to do what we're doing in terms of launching all these products and continue to add to them. Um, But there's hundreds of products and I'm sure over half of them are better than what we built. I'm sure of it. Um, but we're in this for the long haul and we're so focused around, this is great innovation for nonprofits. If there's better products, use theirs. We'll make ours better, then come back to us. Um, and we're constantly pushing people to other people and trying to make our products better. So the whole product market fit, I think, is really important. But I mean, you see it all the time. People are able to push really crappy products just by perseverance. And I think sometimes the perseverance is almost outweighs product market fit. I don't know if that's been your experience or not, but especially in the early days of PWI, I think that was true for us. I mean, we thought we had a cool product and in hindsight, we had so many crappy bugs and issues, especially in the early days that um, it was like the perseverance and belief in our own product, like to a naive standpoint, um, that really helped us get to where we are today. Um, because I think if I was looking from the outside and really understood what I understand now, I would have been like, oh man, we should never go to market. And we would have just never been ready, you know, or we would always be focused on product improvement. Okay. Well, my, my quick follow-up to then is, cause I agree with you. I think perseverance, especially for the launch, people are buying you, they're buying your passion and they're buying like that your passion will get you to fix the things that you do wrong. And they, you know, they trust you personally. Right. But then over time, you know, getting to 100,000 customers, at some point, it's more than perseverance. Like your stuff is actually just a better offering. And so I, I would love for advice for the rest of us founders who might want to adopt more of this mindset of less of just is my thing the best on the market now um, and one want to maybe look at our own businesses and products 
through the lens that you uh, just promoted there? Yeah, I mean, we're so aware of the market um, that we have a really simple Google Sheet that's called Competitor Analysis. And every single one of our products has a tab down the bottom, and every row is every competitor we could possibly think of, and every column is every possible feature that any of them have ever launched. Um, and then you plug that kind of data into tools like ChatGPT or anything else and say, what other competitors are we missing? And they're going to feed back 50 other competitors that we've never even heard of. And then what other features should companies like these be adding? And you ask it those simple questions and you've got enough work to keep your team busy for a year just to improve one product significantly, right? And so we have, we have teams of people on our end going through and doing exactly that. There's no magic to it. I mean, maybe not always with ChatGPT, but the equivalent of that, um, there's no magic to it. It's just who can, it really is who can fund it and spend the time and who has the biggest teams that can work on it. Um, and thankfully we've got funding and time and some people and, uh, and yeah, it allows us to do exactly what I just said. So one product at a time. I, I love granular details like that that people can sink their teeth in thank you thank you for sharing that yeah. uh Lynn's, i'll hand it back to you yeah i love that chat gpt blow blew my mind like i've <laughs> this is a total it's not but just like these little hacks of like i've written decks for like a decade where you know come up with copy then you do graphic design and i just like recently did a deck and i was like da, 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 information put a slant on it that has this particular cultural view with this i couldn't believe the particulars like i couldn't believe how good it was and succinct and i was like man people are going to be out of jobs i might be out of a job you know it's like it's it's really cool but um what i love is how you're you to like to improve what you're doing and embracing technology and that's that's where the future is right is like not resisting what's coming but just get open-hearted and there's something about that there's a generosity of spirit vulnerability Yes, was talking earlier these podcasts that they aren't always the absolute the highest and best value until the camera's off. And I've realized more as I go is like absolutely kind of, I mean, I have my Christian faith and it's like Jesus says the flash of your first in all things and you have to lose yourself to find yourself. It's kind of this upside down economy. It's like we, we don't, we aren't as vulnerable because we think it's going to, you know, protect us. But actually, the thing that often protects us is showing our true selves to the world. You know, like when people, they resonate, they trust you, they're built rapport, like all that stuff. So it's fascinating that it's counterintuitive. And as I sit there and listen to you talk about technology and what, and how you guys are adding and improving in this granular way, I'm like, yeah, you'd think that you'd, you know, that you'd get more. I don't know. You double down and like just you know kind of try to be more parochial to protect what you have but you're more open you're like who's doing what how can we improve what can we learn from even just the fact that you want to share work and the advice they give you to the world a lot of people have a mindset that's absolutely in contradiction of that they're like i just want this information for me so that i can have advantage you know there's a scarcity mentality that i think and a parochialism and a, and a thought that is pretty self-focused that I think can be pervasive in our culture. And I just love seeing examples of people like you, Chris, that are so different. I'm sitting here just thinking how fun this is. So so you mentioned earlier that you're like, hey, I could have been done financially 
go. And but then I I do this and I have this job because I love helping people. It's a drug. It's an addiction. Um, what was it that first got you to that first financial? Was it was it your work in with your agency that got you where you were like, okay, I now have financial abundance. I don't have to worry about that component of my life. I can be more purpose driven. Or was it different? You know, what was your journey to get that financial freedom that allowed you to kind of lift your head up and think, what do I want to do and make my life all about now? Yeah, it's that's an interesting question because it would have been after that first company. Um, but the interesting part of that is within two years of starting PWI, um, we lost everything, which is a very ironic, but it was it's all part of the journey in PWI. And then since then that's happened like it's like continued to happen in, in good ways, thankfully. But I remember um I didn't want to hire people when we started PWI. Because it was just like charitable. There was no revenue model. We, we didn't need the money. Um, and what happened was we ended up hiring a, a dev team out of Chicago, a well-known dev company to build this site that we wanted to build. And we're like, okay, we've got money. Uh, basically, I put a third of the money that I had into this dev company to build our site. And it was going to be a project that would be done within a year. And basically, at the end of the year, they were really late the company went bankrupt. So I ended up losing a third of what I considered my, the bulk of my net worth, um, all because this company went bankrupt. And I was like, crap. And we have staff now. We had a bunch of interns. We had like real clients. We had nonprofits that were expecting things from us. And we had no website. I'd lost a bunch of money. And I'm like, well, I mean, technically, if I just like, uh, I should still be fine. You know, I don't really have I don't have much to worry about, but I just need to be careful that this doesn't happen again. Um, and that's where my head was. And so we hired another company. Um, and long story short, uh, they weren't able to pull off the project. Um, they didn't go bankrupt, but they couldn't pull off the project. And there goes another third of the money that I had. And I thought, um, okay, like this is now like, we're probably going to have to think through like, how do we fund this long term? Because I'll probably have to work, but I'm I'm not uncomfortable. It's just okay, not set for life anymore. And um, and so we go to this third company and they hold our stuff for ransom. I kid you not. So uh, literally, we're out the last third, and I'm just like, oh my gosh, I can't believe how quickly you can lose that much money trying to do good, give stuff away. Like there was no financial motive for this. But I think that's where really I relied so heavily on my faith of like, I'm not doing this for me. I felt so called to do what I'm doing. Um, that that whole time, there, there was no stress or anxiety. There was lots of confusion, um, but lots of like, what is going on? And, and since then, um, just so many of the right people have come into our business that have helped take it to the next level. We ended up after, after three strikes, you're out kind of thing. Ended up realizing, okay, I need to hire people internally. We're not going to outsource stuff. Uh, we need to build a business. We need to like think about how do we make this sustainable, not just based on somebody's going to give money and we go ask people for money to give to fund this, what would end up being a nonprofit then at that point. Um, and it totally changed the trajectory of where we went after starting in year three. So I love how you are taking these hits, these losses, these gut-wrenching stories that nobody you would want to wish on your enemy and saying like, hey, it was all for me. It's such a great philosophy. Jess has been super into like the stoic philosophies and taught me about them. 
Jess, what does that bring up for you as a business, you know, man and entrepreneur? You were sharing the other day on LinkedIn how you noticed that, like, oh yeah, we've got to remember this is literally part of the sport is just like the pain and the problems and the obstacles. Your favorite book is Ryan Holiday. That is way one of your favorite books, right? Right, right. Jess, is anyway any comments or thoughts or questions there? Yeah, I, I mean, I have so many. Um, it's funny as I, you know, uh, with my faith as well, I, I feel like. Um, the actually stoicism has been an interesting way to look back at Christianity for me, like, and this idea of, um, giving and not being selfish and taking responsibility. And, uh, I, I found it really helpful. Um, I think maybe just cause we're, we're winding down here, maybe for the last question, I think what I'm most interested in is Chris, there's so many people with good intentions. There's so many people that want to have made a big as of an impact in the world as you, and 99.9% of them haven't been able to achieve what you've achieved. What's different about you? What do you do different that other people don't do? I think it's, uh, all of this is so cheesy because it's just what you read. It's just too stupid enough to act on being willing to fail constantly uh, and take rejection constantly and then who's willing to pursue it. I mean, every there's no magic to how you get in extremely good shape. There's no magic. It's who's going to follow the playbook. For, for the playbook of business, there's no, there's no magic business playbook, but if you provide really good value that people are going to pay for, um, you almost can't go out of business, especially in a service-based business, you know, like SaaS-based stuff or marketing-related stuff. Um, so I think it's just the willingness to and take risk is what we found. Um, and what seems risky to some people, I guess we just have high risk tolerance, if you will. Um, but yeah, I, I might not be answering it exactly because I, I, and I, I mean, the other answer is just surrounding yourself with good mentors. Uh, one, one mentor I had, um, who I considered like the greatest of all time type mentor, um, said the thing that they did in their life was surrounded. They figured out what are all the areas of their life that they care about. You know, it's like, uh, for them, it was things like faith, finances, being a good dad, being a good husband, listing all of these things that they thought mattered in their life that that they needed to take care of. And uh, there's a list of about 20 things. And he said he went out and found a mentor for each one of those. He found the best, the best possible dad he could find and asked him to help him be a better dad. He had no idea about finances. He had no idea about anything else, but he knew how to be a great dad and vice versa. He found great money managers to talk to about that and they might have been terrible dads, um, but it's how do you manage money? And the whole point was, uh, you're not going to find somebody who's great at everything, but if you surround yourself with people who are experts in the field around all these areas of life you care about, um, I mean, that has paid off dividends for me because whenever I have issues professionally, personally, choose any type of issue, I know exactly who I'm calling. I know I'm going to get world-class advice. I know they're going to pick up the phone and, uh, and that sure has helped me. And I think some people are just too afraid to ask for help. You know, they're, it's tough to say, hey, I think I'm going to need help here in the future. Would you let me call you? <laughs> you know, something as simple as that. So hopefully Good. that answers a little bit. Yeah, that's so great. Well, um, one more time. Do you need help with the next steps for your financial plan? Think Capita. Capita is a financial network built around you. They have a team of financial advisors, CPAs, estate attorneys, Medicare providers, and social security experts to help you accomplish your financial goals. Call to schedule a complimentary consultation at 
801-566-5058 or visit their website at www.capitalfinancialnetwork.com. You can also check out their financial education podcast, The Financial Call, available on Apple, Google, Spotify, and YouTube.